Next on Abounding Grace. There's a lot of things we've been taught that we just picked up and we kind of hold on to. And one of the things that we were taught all the way since we were probably as back as you can remember, you've taught this phrase, I'll believe it when I see it. And that's just the way a lot of people live their lives. That's not the way it is with God. With God, it's this. You believe it, and then you'll see. It requires faith. Eyes are opened when you're born again, and you start to see things that you've never seen before. This is amazing grace. And welcome to Abounding Grace. If you've been tuning into the broadcast, and we hope you have, you'll know Pastor Ed Taylor is in the Gospel of John and Chapter 3. We continue there today answering the question, do you know what it means to be born again? It's a pretty common phrase in Christian circles, yet many simply don't understand what the Lord meant by that. Nicodemus needed some clarification, and perhaps you do too. From John Chapter 3, here's Pastor Ed. Nicodemus has this sincere question and he even thinks about it in the physical realm in verse 4. How am I going to get back into the womb? And I don't get that. So Jesus says in verse 5, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now that line seven must have been, I, I just tried to see that Jesus must have saw something on his face and said, don't marvel. Don't marvel. This is something special. Walk with, come with me on this journey. It, don't marvel that you must be born again. And so he explains it and it's a little bit hard to understand because some people have misinterpreted verse five, that born of water. You'll hire somebody say, well, that means you must be water baptized in order to get saved. There's a phrase for that. It's called baptismal regeneration. That's not what Jesus is teaching here at all. Baptism is in its very primitive stages in the church with John the Baptist going around and you don't really see the disciples yet baptizing anyone. And you certainly don't see what you see in the book of Acts with Christian baptism uh, in the first and second chapters and all throughout. So he's not talking about baptism, nor is he saying that a work could save you. Water baptism, water baptism doesn't save you. Some people have looked at this and said, well, you know, what born of water it means is just physical birth. Now, it could fit. But, but Jesus is trying to take Nicodemus away from the physical, not keep him there. Although I see in his explanation he could, that could certainly fit. But I want to suggest something to you of born of the water, because we understand born of the Spirit, God doing it, that born of the water means. And that would be is that Jesus is using water again symbolically. Just like he will with the woman at the well. Just like he will in chapter 7 when he illustrates the Spirit of God living water. Just like Paul does many times. But Paul uses water to symbolize the Word of God. I see this, sure it could fit physical birth. But I see this also as as a symbolic reminder that God is telling, that Jesus is telling Nicodemus. When we respond to the message with repentance, God will rush in and give us new life. 
but it requires God to cleanse and wash us through the water of his word. That's how you receive. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Paul would say in Romans. So whatever it is in particular, Jesus is bringing Nicodemus to a much higher level spiritually. And he's talking to a very learned man, a man that could answer any Bible question, a man that was well-respected, and a man with questions. You know, Nicodemus was a little excited because I'm certain that he knew about Deuteronomy chapter 30. For you note-takers, you can jot it down. Jeremiah chapter 23, Ezekiel 11, Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel 38. As Jesus is building on the truths of the regathering of Israel, he's building his teaching on the cleansing and transformation, spiritual transformation of God's people. He's using it as a hook to get his attention from the Old Testament. It's been wisely said that in the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And in the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And so now we have Jesus coming to the fullness of explaining very important passages of what they look like in the New Covenant. And in the regathering of Israel, there's something even more significant. And that is Messiah came. Messiah came to save. You see, the people in the first century were under heavy oppression from the Roman government, and they were tired of it. The history of the Jewish people is oppression after oppression after oppression, and under the Romans, it was really bad. You know, Jesus was crucified, but so were thousands and thousands of Jews. Rome was not nice, and the leaders would come and go, and they were tired. They were done with it. They were upset. That's why Jesus, when he is gathering the 12 to follow him, the 12 apostles, one of the guys he chooses was a zealot, Simon the Zealot. This was a guy that wanted to overturn Rome. He wanted to take Rome and put it on its head. And the teaching in the Old Testament that would stir the Jews was the coming Messiah. When Messiah came, he would take care of all the oppression and they would live in peace. That's what he was expecting. But see... Jesus didn't come according to the expectations of man, but to the perfect fulfillment of Scripture. And in his first coming, you know, Jesus didn't come as a conquering king. He came as a suffering servant. He didn't come as a militant Messiah. He came as the God-man to lay his life down for your sins and mine. And Nicodemus is getting a hint of that and what it looks like. As we learned last time, the heart of Jesus was salvation. Souls of men. That's what he spent his time on. And then he describes it. Notice this in verse 8, back in John 3. Don't marvel that I said to you, verse 7, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus is saying, you can't explain this. It's unexplainable. Being born again is unexplainable. You see the effects of it. I mean, you see a changed life, especially those that were saved later in life where, man, you lived so many years up to this point and then boom, you got saved and you're so radically different. Like, like we talked last time with Pastor Joel who just went to his 10-year reunion. 10-year reunion. Don't you wish you were going once to your 10-year reunion again? Wow. But you know what? I did get a chance to talk to him and one of the questions that kept coming up, coming up is, you're different. Why are you different? Why don't you do, you don't do this anymore, you don't do this anymore. And, and Joel had a, such a great opportunity to share 
the wonderful work of Jesus in his life, but, but he has to, and he did, give God all the glory. You can't explain it. Well, you know, I, I'm, you, you tell him, why don't you do that? I was born again. What? Yeah, I was born again. Huh? Oh, you, you probably stopped doing that because you went to church. No. And, and you probably stopped doing that because you're a Bible thumper. No. And you probably stopped doing that because you're prayer, now you just pray and you're all into God. No. No, all of those things in my life, I love the Bible and I love church and I love prayer. They came after being born again, not before. They came as a result. They didn't get me to the place where I love God. They came because God loved me. Even the Bible speaks to that. The Bible says that we love God. Why? Because he first loves us. We responded to love. In an undeserving way, we received the love of God. You can't explain it. It's amazing. We see it all the time. Just in the context of our fellowship family, we see it all the time. And it truly is like the wind. Where someone will walk in the doors one way. And within a few minutes, the penetrating power of God's word and the work of the Holy Spirit, they walk out the doors a completely different person in an instant. Like last night. Last night I had a, we had quite a response to the gospel but one of them was a kid he came up and he wanted to talk to me personally so he came up and he said uh, and you could tell he was nervous he was probably i don't know 11 or 12 years old and and he was nervous and he says you know i just i didn't stand up when you asked is is that okay i was you know i I didn't stand and he was just kind of explaining himself and so i said it's okay did you ask jesus forgive your sins yes do you believe he died? Yes. And we walked through the whole thing. And I said, you don't need to sit or stand. To, you got, sounds, like, sounds like you got born again sitting down. And the relief in his face. He was so relieved. That a kid, he walks in. And he was so prepared. Now, he was here with his dad. His dad was over here. And he was, the son was talking to me by himself. So when we were done with that, I called the dad over. And I said, you know what, dad? Because you brought your son to church tonight, God changed his life. Because you brought him to expose him to the gospel, to the teaching of the Bible, God changed his life, and you're a big part of it. And you see the tears starting to come down. That is unexplainable how just who knows what they were doing hours before. Who knows what they were doing yesterday. Who knows where they... But, to, but as far as yesterday, God had an appointment with them. Just like the wind, man. You get to see the experience. You can't explain it. You can't explain what words exactly and what was, you know, because I would be like a pastor. The pastor would go, okay, what exactly did I say? Because I want to repeat that every single time. It doesn't work like that. There'll be times when I will craft a message and it seems to me to be so evangelistic. I mean, just here, an invitation here, an invitation here, and I'm so excited I want to deliver this because I can really see God using it, and I deliver it, and crickets. It just doesn't seem to be a response. I put all my heart and soul into it, and there's no response. And there'll be another time where I teach some obscure passage, or we we look at just one word together, and there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and people are getting saved over, I mean, just moving and responding to the Word of God, and you're like, yes, but that's not what I was teaching. (laughs) And for that, I'm grateful, because God saves And he alone saves. And unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus and you and me. 
Well, verse 9, Nicodemus says, how can these things be? Do you see the progression in his life? First he comes, Rabbi, we've heard about you, we've seen you, you must be from God. Then he says, how can I go back into my mother's womb? And then Jesus leads them, how can these things be? And Jesus said, are you the teacher of Israel, you don't know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. He's speaking of the triune God here, the testimony of God throughout the ages. And even the testimony of God right here, it's hard for them to receive the witness of God. If I've told you, verse 12, earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he, speaking of himself, who came down from heaven. That is the son of man who is in heaven. And, verse 14, as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You know how Jesus answers this in great, simple summary? Nicodemus, it's by faith. That's how it happens. It's by faith. You go, where do you see that? Well, right there at the end where he talks about Moses. He says, you know about Moses. Remember that time? And for us, by reference, it's Numbers chapter 21. The children of Israel got to a place in the wilderness again where they were upset. They were murmuring and complaining. They were thirsty and even hungry to some degree. They were starting to despise the manna. You know, God gave them a miracle food that gave them all the nutrients necessary to survive in the wilderness for 40 years. But they got tired of it. They got tired of the steady diet. They got tired of the, of the same thing. They got t- every day, morning, noon, and night, they would eat the same thing. And then, so they're, they're done. So they start to complain against God. And they start to complain against Moses. And it brought about a very unusual judgment upon them. God sent snakes among them. Like some of the snakes under your chairs right now. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. How many of you like snakes? All right, so most of us don't. And that, that's, this is a really bizarre judgment. And as the snakes come in, they bite them and some people are dying. And it's a chaotic time. He says, well, if you don't want my provision, then, you know, I think, I think God lifted up his hand of protection. The snakes went to, business, went to town. And they turned really fast. They cried out to Moses, Go ask, cry out for us, Moses. Ask God to stop this. And being the great leader that he is, even though they were just putting him down a minute ago, you know what Moses does? He calls out to God. And God gave him the solution. It was very simple. He told him to take and make and craft a bronze serpent and put, him up on a, put it up on a pole, lift it up, Tell the people to look to it. Anybody that looks to the serpent that's lifted up will be, be spared and saved. That was it. Now, if you're in the midst of some crazy snake attack, wouldn't that be a weird thing to do? Like, I would want, well, what am I supposed, who's got the venom? Like, where's the venom? And who's the snake handler guys? Let them come, you know, somebody, somebody do something about the snakes. But, but looking up at a pole, that doesn't make any sense. But that's exactly, God says, I want you to trust me by faith. Look up, look up, look up, look up by faith. This wasn't time to to try to figure things out. This wasn't time to to try to develop some venom. This was time to listen and trust God. It reminds me of what Joshua went through when when he took over later for Moses from Numbers 21. And they were faced with the first battle in Jericho. Insurmountable. 
So he goes to God for his military advice, and God gives him advice. This is how you're going to conquer Jericho. You're just going to walk around the walls and yell. And then on the seventh day, walk around a little bit more and yell louder. And if you do that, Jericho's yours. Can you imagine Joshua having to deliver that to his military generals? (laughs) So what is it? What kind of ammunition are we going to have? How are we all going to line up? And Josh says, well, guys, this is what God says. We're going to march around and yell. Are you ready? But it was a step in a test of faith. Will they believe that Joshua heard from God and that God was going to do what he said? Just like you and I were brought to so many, so many times places of faith. Do you know that you exercise faith every day? Like for those of you that, for those of you that drove here, you exercised a lot of faith driving here. You probably didn't even notice it. Like for example, you had faith that the double yellow line that was to your left means the same thing as the car on the other, means the same thing to them as it does to you for the car on the other side. You live by faith when you hope that the other car, when they see a red light, they understand it means stop. Just like when you see a red light, it means stop. And you go, wait a minute, Ed, come on. That just seems like normal common sense. No, 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 it's, a, it's an expression of faith. You really are expressing trust in everyday life. How much more so then would God use faith in order to bring you into a right relationship with him and that your life will be lived by faith every day going forward? Trusting him at his word, even when it just seems like, I don't, I don't, you, you, God, you told me to wait, but that doesn't make sense. But I trust you and I will wait on you because you promised to renew my strength while I wait on you. And he compares himself, did you notice? Just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Just like they needed to look to that bronze serpent as a way to be saved, today you must look to Jesus Christ who was lifted up on the cross in order to be saved. He died, he was buried, and he rose again the third day. And he desires to have a relationship with you. You see, sharing the gospel is very important. You and I are God's messengers. We truly are. And we look at some of the things we're giving out today, and you're like, what's the significance? Everything, anything to get you connected with other people is very significant because you are a follower of Jesus. You have the answer to people's questions. You are a walking example of hope and God's faithfulness. Even in the midst of your trials, here you are still standing. Here you are still loving. Here you are still serving. You are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And today, today I want you to know that there's a place where you can go to with your questions. God is ready to answer. But you must be born again. That's the real answer to a question that you may or may not have asked. You know how the world, we've been taught this. There's a lot of things we've been taught that we just picked up and we kind of hold on to. And one of the things that we were taught all the way since we were probably as back as you can remember, you've taught this phrase, I'll see it, I'll believe it when I see it. And that's just the way a lot of people live their lives. That's not the way it is with God. With God, it's this. You believe it, and then you'll see. It requires faith. Eyes are opened when you're born again, and you start to see things that you've never seen before. You see, you could ask, and you can ask, and you can ask, and you may find yourself 
come into that place where it's no longer an informational thing. Your life requires transformation. That we can answer really every question that you come up with, but the real question is your heart. Are you born again? You know, Christianity is not hard. Christianity is often referred to as a religion. Christianity is not a religion either. Christianity is a person. A relationship with Jesus Christ himself. And I think it's the simplicity of Christianity that it can stumble people. A transformed way of life, not by our own works. Paul would put it this way. You can jot it down in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He describes being born again as this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So look to the cross, friend. Receive the finished work of Jesus. I invite you to put your faith in the same Jesus who died on that cross and rose again three days later. He's standing right now at the door of your life knocking, and he's saying, if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. Have you asked Jesus in yet? Have you shared Jesus with someone? This is Abounding Grace with our Bible teacher and pastor, Ed Taylor. To give this study in the Gospel of John a second listen, go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through the Calvary Church app. You can search for Ed Taylor to download that today. Pastor Ed, today you left us to consider this question. Have you shared Jesus with someone? Maybe some are thinking, I'd sure like to, but how do I do that? Do you have some suggestions that might be of some help? I do. There's a couple things that I would say right away. Number one, you don't need to take a class. You don't need to read a book in order to share what God has done in your life. And I would encourage you to use the work of God in your life as a platform to share about the love and mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. We call that our testimony. And you know, our testimony has three parts, who we were, where God met us, and who we are now. And although it involves us, it's actually not about us. A real, true, powerful testimony is a testimony of God's faithfulness, God's power, God's sovereignty, God's mercy and grace in our lives, where he delivered us from, where he met us, and what he's doing presently in us. So just start sharing your testimony, where you came from, what God's doing in your life, somebody invited you to church, and then be sure to include the key ingredients of the gospel. The gospel is that man has sinned, that the wages of sin are death, the gift of God is eternal life, and that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you, and that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he will save you in the moment. I think of learning the tool of the Romans Road. We even created the Romans Road for kids here at Calvary. You can email me and I'll send it to you. Romans Road. Learn the elements of the gospel through the book of Romans. And then I would recommend a book if you are a reader. It's Share Jesus Without Fear by William Fay, F-A-Y. Share Jesus Without Fear by William Fay. A great, simple resource on how to share the gospel effectively. So however you choose, just go for it and watch God use you. That is very helpful. Thanks, Pastor Ed. If you haven't read Chuck Smith's classic book, Love the More Excellent Way, we'd like to recommend that you do. We'd love to get this into your hands. 
You'll not only discover what love is as defined by God, but also how to love the more excellent way. And we'll gladly send you a copy for a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Thank you for remembering us in your prayers and giving to the Lord. Your gift, whatever the size, will serve to help us reach thousands with the message of Christ. Reach us toll free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, 877-30-GRACE. You can also request this and other resources online at calvaryco.store. If you just like to make a donation and not interested in the pick of the month, you can just go online to aboundinggraceradio.com. Connect with us through social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. There's a link to each page at aboundinggraceradio.com. We hope you can join us for a service sometime at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. Let me first give you our weekend services. The first is Saturday night at 6, and then we have two Sunday morning services at 8.45 and 10.45. Our midweek service is Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Go to calvaryco.church for more information or to live stream. We've got another study in the Gospel of John to look forward to tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.